Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how our feet, eyes, ears, heart, mind, and mouth are all God's instruments to reach the lost and tell them how to be saved. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from this week's messages. The whole process of what happened with the Lord and Zacchaeus, the Lord wanted to just capture in one succinct statement. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's what he wants us to see. He went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Those are the feet that carried him from village to village, from city to city, seeking the lost. Those feet left the earth. Now here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday expository study in Genesis. So what we saw in his example with Zacchaeus is we saw him use his feet to go to lost Zacchaeus. We saw him use his eyes to look for lost Zacchaeus. We saw him use his heart to love lost Zacchaeus. We saw him use his ears to hear lost Zacchaeus repent. And we saw him use his mind to frame the right thing to say and say the salvation has now come into the Zacchaeus' house. And we saw him use his mouth to make the statement so that other lost souls could now understand how they also could become a son of Abraham. And all those parts of his body left. His feet that searched for the lost, his eyes that found the lost, his heart that loved the lost, his ears that heard the lost, his mind that devised the directions for the lost, his mouth that spoke the guidance for the lost. All of it left, all those parts. His searching feet, his finding eyes, his loving heart, his hearing ears, his devising mind, his speaking mouth, it all left. And just after three years. And now the Lord Jesus Christ turns to each one of us with that word began in Acts 1. And he says, I began the work to seek to save that the lost. And he says to each one of us, how about you? Will you continue it? My feet left the earth. I now need feet on earth. Will you give me your feet to go to the lost? My eyes left the earth. I now need eyes on the earth. Will you give me your eyes so that I can look through your eyes and find the lost? My heart left the earth. I now need a heart on earth. Will you give me your heart to love the lost? My ears left the earth. I now need ears on earth. Will you give me your ears to hear specifically what each lost person is saying? My mind left the earth. I now need a mind on earth. Will you give me your mind to devise how to respond to each lost person? My mouth has left the earth. I now need a mouth on earth. Will you give me your mouth to speak to the lost, my invitation to be reconciled with God? And that's a question for each one of us. Because our feet, our eyes, our heart, our ears, our mind, our mouth are the members of our body. They're the members of our body. And he's asking each one of us, will you yield them to me? Will you yield those members to me? 
He's asking for us to give them to him. And that's what's meant in Romans 6.13. Maybe you'd like to turn to it. Romans 6.13, which is really the meaning behind this verse. When it says in Romans 6.13, Neither yield ye your members. That's what he's talking about. Neither yield you your members as instruments of righteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. That's the whole burnt offering in the Old Testament. And those that are alive from the dead, and your members, your feet, your heart, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your mind, your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, an instrument in God's hands. My feet... God's instrument to purposefully go to the lost. My eyes, God's instrument to purposefully look for the lost. My heart, God's interest, instrument to love the lost. My ears, God's instrument to listen to what the lost are saying. My mind, God's instrument to devise the best biblical response to the lost. And my mouth, God's instrument to tell the lost how to be saved. And so now the choice, it's ours. The choice is ours. We can keep our instruments for ourselves. Or we can decide we're going to give them for God's use. God is saying to each one of us, what's your decision? I have a lot of work to do that's left. So I need those feet of yours, I need those eyes of yours, I need those ears of yours, I need that mind of yours, I need that mouth of yours. There's a work for Jesus ready at your hand. Tis a task the master just for you has planned. Haste to do his bidding, yield him service true. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. There's a work for Jesus precious souls to bring. Tell them of his mercies. Tell them of your king. Faint not nor grow weary. He will strength renew. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. And that's what the Holy Spirit does also. And he guides people into this truth. And that's our job also. And turn, if you would, to Acts 5, 28. Acts 5, 28 to 32. Now here we have the situation where the followers of the Lord are being threatened. And in Acts 5, 28 to 32, the ones threatening them says, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. It wasn't politically correct to say that, but that's what he said anyway. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance, for to give this grand opportunity to repent and forgiveness of sins, the gift of God. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. So what are the things that he's talking about? The opportunity to repent, the gift of the forgiveness of sins. That's our subject. That's the topic of what we should be talking about. And notice this great word in verse 32, also, That's the great part about yielding our members 
the members of our body to God to seek and to save the lost because when we do that, we get the also. And the also is great because when we get about our Father's business to seek to save that which was lost, then we get the also working of the Holy Spirit working in us, working through us, working with us, working alongside us, all at the same time. And when we talk to a lost person about the opportunity to repent and the availability of the forgiveness of God that God is offering to him, we're not alone. We're not alone because the great referee is there. The great striver is there, the Spirit of God. And he strives with man, as it says in Genesis 6.3. And he's coming in with the authority. And we say this, and then the Holy Spirit comes in and says, that's right. Now, you better listen to him because it's true. See, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We work hard. He works hard also. He's working to bring the gospel to the lost as well. And so we see him there confirming the gospel. Now, that's a wonderful work of the Holy Spirit that we have when we get about the Father's business. Now, there's one more thing, place where we see the work of the Holy Spirit as a referee. Turn to uh, Romans 9, 1 through 3. Paul brought this out to us, this famous verses about Paul's love for Israel, Paul's broken heart for Israel. He says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, the Jewish people had been pretty hard on Paul. That's kind of an understatement. I mean, they stoned him. They vowed to kill him. They incited riots against him. And um, that's just for openings. And so it was pretty easy for other people to conclude, well, obviously, Paul has written off his own Jewish people. And he's finished with them. It was pretty easy for people to think that. He was being let down by baskets to escape their murders and so forth. But just to set the record straight, Paul speaks up here and he says, I have not given up my Jewish people. I have not stopped caring for them. And he says, I, I have a great heaviness in my heart for them. I have a continual sorrow. It's so profound that I'm telling you, I'm willing to go to hell if they could go to heaven. And then Paul is sort of saying, now I know you think this is hard to believe, and that I feel this way. But I want to tell you, I have a witness that I feel this way. And he says, it's the Holy Ghost. And if you doubt my sincerity, go ask him. He'll back me up. That's what he meant when he said, the Holy Ghost also bears witness. Now, there's another place. Turn in Romans 8, 16, chapter before, where we read another work of the Holy Spirit, where it says the Spirit also bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. We say we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are the children of God. And the devil in the world says to us, oh, but you're not. You're not. You say you are the children of God. Well, guess what? I'm Napoleon. And how do you know that you're a child of God? How do you know you're right and everyone else is wrong? How presumptuous, how arrogant. You're absolutely sure of that? Now, normally, those questions would cast doubt. Normally, we would question and we would wonder, I wonder if I am right. 
I mean, I've never seen God. And we would question except for the work of the Holy Spirit. And when these questions come to us, the Holy Spirit, according to this verse, steps in, stands up, and testifies to our spirit, you are a child of God. And we walk away with an inexplicable, an unshakable confidence. And why do we have this? Because the Holy Spirit has stood up and testified to us. I remember last year, there was an atheist outside the Creation Museum on Creation Day who was, Lydia was sparring with. And he said to Lydia, isn't there a possibility that you might be wrong and there is no God? And she said, no, there's no possibility. <laughs> and so why would she say there's no possibility? How could she be absolutely confident and unshakable? Because the Holy Spirit was inside of her, not only telling her there was a God, that there was God, but that she was a child of God. That's a wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the work of the Holy Spirit, and we want with all of our hearts to be about our Father's business. We know what our Father's business is. It's to seek and to save that which was lost. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to keep your requests for the members of our body, Lord, front and center, and help us not to be deceived, Lord, but help us to seize the time. Help us to remember only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tom, today you spoke about the Holy Spirit. Now, I've had several listeners call, and many of them get concerned over the passage in Matthew twenty-two thirty-one, where it says, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. Now, the concern is whether or not they've committed this unforgivable sin. It's just frightening to them. So what exactly is this unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Ghost? You know, I'm glad this question was asked. This is very, very relevant because uh, many people are concerned about this scripture because it says that all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but there's one sin, or it's called the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. What's important to understand, if we are to understand what this sin is, is the context in which it was spoken. In Matthew 12, 22, it speaks about, then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. So here here we have a person who is in great need of healing. Verse 23 says, all the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? So this person is in great need of healing. The Lord Jesus Christ comes and heals him. What a wonderful day that was. But it says in verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they'll be your judges. 
But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his good, except he first bind the strong man? Then he'll spoil his house. And then he said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore, and there's the verse, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Now, what happened? We have a situation here where the Lord Jesus Christ has just done a wonderful work, and that work has been a great invitation and is every reason in the world why everybody there should come and acknowledge him as God, fall down, embrace him with all their heart as their God and their Savior. That's what should happen. In other words, they should be attracted to him. But the Pharisees came and they pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, do you know how he did that work? He did that work by the devil. In essence, he was saying he is the devil. He is the one who is the murderer. He is the one that you should not be attracted to. He is the one that you should be repelled against, that you should be repulsed by. And so if that stuck with the people, then the people would turn and go away from him him. And so, in other words, if they believe, because he was casting out devils by the Spirit of God, that's what he said, but if they believed that he was casting out by the devil himself, in other words, to say that the one inside of the Lord Jesus was the devil, see, that's a blasphemy, that's an insult, that's an untruth against the one who was inside the Lord Jesus Christ, and that was the Spirit of God himself. Now, that's, you see, so that's why it's called the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, because it's maligning the Spirit of God inside of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the end result of that is that it was getting him to, getting the people to turn away from him. See, in John 15, 26, it speaks about the Holy Spirit. It says, but when the comforters come, who I send, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So what is the work of the Holy Spirit? He testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He causes the Lord Jesus Christ to have the power to cast out devils and and to heal. And it's all, that's the work of the Holy Spirit is to make the Lord Jesus Christ attractive. But if a person says he's doing it by the power of the devil, then that person, by blaspheming the Holy Spirit, has made the Lord Jesus Christ repulsive to him, and he will go away from him. Also, it says in that same, in one chapter later, in John 16, 7, 11, it speaks again of the Holy Spirit, and he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter, again, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you, but if I depart, I'll send him unto you you. And when he is come, that's the Holy Spirit, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness, of judgment, of sin, because they believe not on me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Who judged him? The Lord Jesus Christ defeated him on the cross. So what is the Holy Spirit doing here? It's all 
centric on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all centered on him. When he comes, he convicts of sin. What sin? The sin of not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts of righteousness, the righteousness because the Lord Jesus Christ goes to the Father. He convicts of judgment of how the Lord Jesus Christ has has judged the prince of this world. Everything that the Holy Spirit does is to focus and to put the magnification and the highlight and the glorification on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to say that what he is doing, the Holy Spirit is doing, is to put focus on the devil, is to do exactly the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He's trying to draw men that they would be attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ. But if if people believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is not attractive, if they are repulsed from him by saying, for example, that he is, he is the devil, if they are repulsed, then that is an unforgivable sin. Why? Because it's the sin which will cause a person to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the sin that will cause a person to go away from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the sin that will cause a person to not be attracted to, but to leave the Lord Jesus Christ. And anybody who leaves the Lord Jesus Christ, who is not attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ, who does not believe that he is good in God as the Holy Spirit wants to convince men of, then they will leave the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the unforgivable sin that will cast a person into hell. He said, if a person does not come to the Son and he loves his sin, then the wrath of God abides on him and that he is already condemned. A person who is already condemned has the unforgivable sin of turning away from the Lord Jesus Christ, of rejecting the work of the Holy Ghost, of blaspheming the person and the work of the Holy Ghost, which is all designed to attract people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And for whatever reason, whether it's calling it's calling him the devil or it's calling his work evil and wrong, which is blasphemy against him and his work, and if the end result of that is that a person runs away from the Lord Jesus Christ, then he has de facto committed the unforgivable sin of blaspheming the person and the work of the Lord Jesus, of the Spirit of God, which is to bring people, to make him seen as he is, to make the Lord Jesus Christ seen as the great healer of men, as the great healer of the souls of men, as the great healer for the disease of men, the sin of men, dying on the cross. All of that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And to blaspheme him, in other words, to say, oh no, there's ulterior motives to it. It's to say, like the children of Israel said to Moses, you brought us out here. We know why to kill us because there weren't enough graves in Egypt. So you brought us out into the desert to kill us in the desert. See, what were they doing? They were blaspheming the intention and the work of God that God was doing through Moses when he was trying to save them from their sins. Well, the same reason we have to get down to the core question. 
Why doesn't a person come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he is not attracted to him. Why is he not attracted to him? Because he believes something evil, something wrong, like, for example, as these people did, that he was doing everything by the power of the devil. That's blaspheming the work and the person of the Holy Spirit as he is in the process of showing the Lord Jesus Christ as doing all things well, as being the great sin bearer, as being the one who we so desperately need, as the one who the thief on the cross said, oh Lord, I beg you, please remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. See, that's giving honor to the work, honor to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ when that thief did that. And then when we do that, when we come to the Lord Jesus and say, my Jesus, I love you with all of my heart. I believe you are good. I believe that you don't want me to be cast into hell. I believe that you intentionally with all of your heart and successfully died for my sins so that all of my sins have been atoned for. They're all under the blood. They've all been 100% paid for. They're stamped, paid in full. I believe that you do this because I believe the work of the Holy Spirit that has been testifying to me, showing me through the scriptures, through preaching, which I've heard from other people, through my own conscience. I believe his work. I honor the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. But to take an opposite view of that and to say, I don't believe it. I don't believe that you love me. I don't believe that you died for my sins to keep me from hell. I don't believe that you are good. That's to blaspheme the work and the person of the Holy Spirit and to commit the unforgivable sin which casts into the place of eternal torment and judgment of hell itself. Thank you for joining us today. Now, we'd like to hear more from you about what you like about Friendship with God or how it's impacted your life. You can contact Tom Cantor by email and send that email to tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom and then Cantor, C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor, C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. He'd love to hear from you. And in fact, if you have a biblical question from the Old Testament that you've always wondered about, or something you'd like Tom Cantor to answer on the air in our questions and answers portion of our program, you can contact Tom Cantor by email with your question. We'll try to answer it on the air. That's Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor with a seed. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Now you can also find Israel Restoration Ministries on Facebook, as well as Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program. And you can there receive a daily devotional from Tom Cantor. You can always call us at one 800 247 3051. That's 247-3051.